0: Hi. Good afternoon, everyone on the East Coast, and good morning if you're on the West Coast. Welcome to the October tosca 3030. Our topic today is pre-prioritization strategy, and I just want to let you know there's a Reach 3030 that will be uh, at 1:35. So this will go from 1 o'clock to 1:30. There's Reach uh, 3030 that starts at 1:35 and that'll go for a half hour as well. It's the same dial-in numbers. If you were planning to participate in both, uh, we have uh, you know very large sign-ups for both programs. Uh, I don't have a wing person with me today, so if you usually attend these things to listen to someone other than myself, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have a wing person today. So let's go to uh, that's there. There I am. Go back. I'm Herbert Stryker. I've spoken at a number of these. I see my photo is uh, is obscuring the text of who I am, but that's fine, go to the next one. So what is, what is uh, well, to understand uh, prioritization pre-prioritization, you need to understand what prioritization is. So let's start a little bit about that. So as you know, uh, Tosca really sort of sets up, the new Tosca sort of sets up a triage system for evaluating existing chemicals. Yep, so first thing, EPA, uh, decides what's they take the Tosca inventory decide what's active on the inventory what's not actively in commerce that was the Tosca reset which I know you've all been busy uh, notifying EPA as the substances that you actively have in commerce either as of importers and now uh, as processors so the first stage find out what's in commerce that's on the Tosca inventory that's some subsets of all the chemicals that are listed on the Tosca inventory. The second stage is take that active list and prioritize it in some fashion into high and low priority chemicals. And I think, as I'll explain, EPA does not intend to take the entire, uh, all the active substances on the Tosca inventory and sort of rank order them in one step, they don't plan to do that, and that's the good news. They're gonna actually go in batches. Uh, and then the second thing is, uh, so you designate the chemicals as a high priority for risk evaluation, uh, low priority for risk evaluation. In terms of the ones that are high priority, the EPA will systematically uh, uh, conduct risk evaluation on the high priority substances. It's a rolling list. They're required to have uh, by statute uh, some 20, uh, 20 chemicals uh, that are designated as a high priority uh, by December 22nd, 2019. And another 20 chemicals are low priority by December 22, 2019. Now, once they have a formal prioritization, uh, then they are required to do risk evaluations on the high priority chemicals. They only have three years, and they can extend it for six months to do the risk evaluation. And once they do that, and they, they decide uh, that a chemical or any of its uses uh, poses uh, presents an unreasonable risk they're required to go to a risk management stage. So the the selection of those 20 chemicals is quite important. It's also a rolling list. Once they complete the risk evaluation of a chemical, then they must designate at least one additional high priority chemical to take its place. So always there'll be at least 20 chemicals in the queue that have been designated as a high priority that EPA is actively doing risk evaluation on. So it's a rolling list. Now, Congress decided to let EPA phase in the program slowly. They had to uh, uh, designate 10 chemicals uh, from the uh, 214 update to the TSCA work plan for risk evaluation, and those are the 10 chemicals we've been talking about for a number of months. They're methylene chloride, a variety of solvents, NMP, asbestos, Uh, there's a list of those chemicals. Now we have talked about those several different times. Beyond that list of 10, which is really the test list, the trial list for EPA to sort of figure out how to do risk evaluation, EPA then has to select 20 chemicals and at least 10 of them have to come from the 2014 update to the TSCA work plan. At least 10, it could certainly be more than 10, uh, but at least 10 have to come from the update and that EPA is required by statute to give priority to chemicals that have uh, moderate or high persistence or by accumulation that are known human carcinogens or have high acute or chronic toxicity. Next slide. Now, that's the formal prioritization stage. And we'll talk about that a little bit later at the end of this session. Now, there's another process, which is called pre-prioritization. And pre-prioritization is actually not part of the Ladenburg. Chemical uh, Safety Act. That's important to understand. That all the rules are in place in Section Six, six of TOSCA that EPA must follow uh, in, in in the formal prioritization process, and all the rules are in place in EPA's uh, prioritization final rule that it issued. Do not apply to pre-prioritization if EPA does not want them. Those concepts to apply. Pre-prioritization is an extra curricular activity. Uh, it's not. Uh, mandated by law, it's not mandated by regulation. Uh, but if you sort of think about it, if EPA is going to do formal prioritization of chemicals, it has to have some way to have candidates uh, for the for the prioritization exercise, and that's what pre-prioritization is all about. It's about EPA sort of doing some homework upfront to get a list of chemicals that are candidates for prioritization before the EPA moves those chemicals into the formal uh, priorization process. Now, when EPA issued their proposed priorization rule back in 2017, they actually discussed having a formal pre-priorization process as part of the rule. The problem was that it was described in a very, very general way, and there were a lot of adverse comments from all quarters, from industry, from environmental groups, uh, pretty much anyone that uh, considered what EPA had put in the proposed rule. So EPA, when they finalized the prioritization rule, they withdrew the discussion uh, about pre-prioritization. Next step. So what has EPA done now? Well, originally they said that they would have Pre prioritization rulemaking. They've now decided not to have that, so there'll be no formal rulemaking. So, you know, so no opportunity to go to, to court, no formal rulemaking. Um, but what EPA did do, they did in 2018, they had a stakeholder meeting. And, though um, I know it may have been December 2017, they had a stakeholder meeting. And they now, recently on September 28th of this year, released three documents. The first is a working approach document where EPA lays out both its near-term approach to selecting candidate chemicals for prioritization, as well as a longer-term approach uh, for selecting uh, candidates for prioritization that will feed into the prioritization process for many, many years. And I've given you a um, citation to where you can find, a link to where you can find the working approach document. By the way, these slides, and a uh, and a recording of the presentation is, will be posted on our website, as they always are, under um, what, what's the, www.tosca3030.com, so it's not that hard to find. Uh, the second thing they issued is a, is a Federal Register uh, Notice pre-publication. I actually haven't checked to see whether the Federal notice, uh, Register Notice has actually officially issued yet, but when I did these slides, they were in the pre-publication stage, and what EPA says in that document is that they will open 73 chemical-specific public dockets for chemicals that are on the 214 Tosca work plan that are not already under TosCA review. Remember, we talked about 10 chemicals, including NMP, um, methylene chloride, the solvents, asbestos and others that EPA is now actively engaged in uh, risk evaluation. So that's, so you take the original uh, list of chemicals. On the uh, toxic work plan and you eliminate ten. Uh, there are a couple of chemicals that are being contemplated uh, for as PBTs that are being reviewed, uh, at least for exposure. Uh, if remember that PBTs that would uh, do not go through formal risk evaluation, EPA simply looks at exposure and use. And if uh, if it concludes that there's not a reasonable risk, then it will go to risk management. Um, now, they, uh, I've given you a link to the uh, Federal Register notice pre-publication, uh, and they also did a summary uh, of, of response to comments, uh, as I mentioned, and it was correct, December 11th, 2017, EPA had a public meeting, and they got a fair number of comments from, uh, from both industry and environmental groups. The response to comments is about 50 pages, so it's actually a rather interesting reading. I mean, we we'll go through some of the points that EPA makes in their response to comments during this half hour. Next slide. So what's the near-term approach? Well, as you could predict, uh, the near-term approach is basically to choose the first 20 high-priority chemicals from the 2000 update to the TSCA work plan. Why is EPA doing that? Well, first of all, that's already a ready-made list. And if EPA has to pick 20 chemicals fairly quickly, which it does, and it has to ensure that those 20 chemicals have enough data to allow a risk evaluation, uh, then the, uh, there really isn't another, a better list uh, that EPA has available to it uh, than the 2014 update to the work plan. So we can already tell where 20 of those chemicals that EPA is going to be evaluating, um, let's say for the next, in the next five year period, uh, where they're gonna come from. For low-priority chemicals, EPA plans to use, again, as predicted, their safer chemical inventory list to identify potential low-priority chemicals. For all kinds of comments, the rulemakings, look at these chemicals as low-priority, look at those chemicals as low-priority, uh, and basically EPA settled in on, a, again, a ready-made list, which is the uh, safer chemical inventory list. Now, it's an interesting thing about designation of chemicals as a uh, low-priority. Um, in pre-prioritization, that's fine, uh, because EPA can take this list and say, well, let me look at these chemicals, these are candidates for low priority, and then once EPA starts getting into the substance, it may decide at the pre-prioritization stage uh, that there's not sufficient information uh, to to uh, make a determination that it's actually a low priority. If that happens at the pre-prioritization stage, that's fine, that chemical can simply just fall out from further consideration. Uh, in the proposed prioritization rule, EPA had a default to high process where if something was proposed as a uh, you know, candidate for low prioritization um, and there wasn't enough information to make that determination, then in the proposed rule that defaulted to high. Fortunately, EPA eliminated that from the final rule. And so in the pre-prioritization state, let's say EPA picks a chemical on the Say for chemical inventory list and decides not enough information to make a designation, then that chemical could simply drop for further consideration. Um, now, once EPA formally nominates the chemical for low priority, and again, now we're talking about the second process, the more formal prioritization process, and in, once it's formally nominated and during evaluation of that nomination, EPA concludes there's insufficient information to make that uh, low priority designation, then that chemical will be considered a high priority for a risk evaluation. So there's a, this whole notion of being selected for low priority really requires that EPA d- does its homework up front to have some insurance that you don't find yourself uh, when you, you were normally considered to be safe, everyone you understood your chemical was safe you're on the safer chemical inventory list and you don't find that your chemical now has defaulted the high once it's formally in the prioritization process. Why is there a default high as part of the prioritization process, because that's in the statute and EPA can't do anything about that. So why, and so another reason, other than the fact that these are ready-made lists, why is EPA uh, selecting the first 20 chemicals from the work plan? Well, I already said 10 have to be selected from the work plan, but why all 20? And so what EPA says is, well, these are already available lists. People know what chemicals are on these lists. And so there's limited stigma, uh, limited blacklisting effect effect for EPA to announce that they gonna be looking at chemicals that are already on this preexisting work plan list. Next slide. I don't intend to read this to you. Uh, there are two slides here that lay out the 73 chemicals that are on the work plan list that have uh, that are still in play. Uh, I've kind of bolded uh, at least the, the names of chemicals that I recognize, a lot of famous ones uh, you know barium, barium carbonates, um, cadmium cadmium compounds, chromium chromium compounds, cobalt cobalt compounds, creosotes etc cetera, et cetera next slide. Uh, More famous ones, formaldehyde, styrene, vinyl chloride, xylenes. So 73 chemicals are in play for the near term. At least 20 of these will be selected as a high priority for risk evaluation. And so if you deal with any of these chemicals, if they're important to you, then I would suggest that uh, starting today, you start paying attention to this process. Next slide. So, we have a list of 73. EPA is going to pick 20. How does it pick 20 out of the 73? By the way, it could pick 20 for, the, uh, for now, but then as part of this rolling list, once it does a re- risk evaluation on one of the 20, it has to substitute it with another one. So, fill the gap. These, that could come from these 73 as well. But the initial prioritization of the 73 to select the first 20 for risk evaluation, how's the EPA going to go about that? Well, it has, Various criteria that will look at. First would be priorities. So, so for example, chemicals that other EPA program offices deem a priority and a suitable prioritization have a higher priority in terms of EPA's thinking. That's not as that much different than what EPA used to do on the old TOSCA. Uh, there was a you know a sort of about a, a, you know people would designate chemicals for testing on the old TOSCA. There was a TOSCA independent the independent testing agency, ITA, and so EPA has always been receptive if it gets a call from one of the other program offices, let's say the water office or the waste office, and someone says to uh, to EPA, well, we have a real problem with this chemical. It's creating real problems. It's showing up in groundwater. Um, it's it's showing up in, in other environmental media. Could you please put a, this as a high priority? Um, well, that'll probably make it. So the second kind of priority factor EPA will look at is suggestions from other agencies. So it's not just EPA program offices. So, for example, let's say OSHA calls up and says, "You know, we are, um, you know, thinking of doing a Pell for this chemical. It'd be awfully nice if you did the risk evaluation for us uh, to facilitate our Pell uh, rulemaking." Uh, so that's another possibility. Then public comment. So people can nominate chemicals as a high priority, for high priority consideration. I suspect there'll be a lot of action on that front. Uh, people will be nominating things left and right. Uh, obviously environmental groups will nominate chemicals. States, governments will nominate chemicals. Um, your competitors may nominate your chemicals. So I expect a lot of action on that front. Um, so I I think it's you know, sort of interesting to um, to sort of watch the dockets to see what pops up. Uh, It's probably useful uh, if you have any concerns about your chemicals, if they're on the work plan. If you have any concerns about your chemicals, you might want to monitor the dockets to see what what, uh, public interests are nominating. Um, They have something similar in the REACH, it's called the, um, well we'll talk about that one, then we do the REACH thing. So um, they also will look at the quantity and quality of information, why is that important? Uh, because what EPA doesn't want to do is they want, don't want to formally put a chemical into the prioritization process as a as, as for evaluation for high priority designation, all of a sudden find that they don't have enough data to make that determination. They only have one year to do a formal prioritization, we'll talk about that, uh, and if they get into the thick of it and find they don't have sufficient data, well then they have a problem. So they want to make sure before a candidate goes into the formal prioritization pipeline that there's enough data to make a determination and that data is of sufficient quality to allow that determination. And obviously, agency workload. Next slide, please. Um, so uh, when we talked about quantity and quality, uh, so EPA is going to look at literature reviews, information in EPA's files. Going to, they are going to request voluntary submissions. By the way, uh, they do intend, although it won't be a formal rulemaking, when they pick a candidate for, pre, uh, for as part of this pre process, they will have some notice that they are looking at this chemical and asking the stakeholders uh, to provide uh, information to help them evaluate this chemical. So you will see a lot of kind of informal notices to the public asking for information on these chemicals before the chemicals go through a formal prioritization process, where there is a formal notice and comment periods that are subscribed by statute, uh, so they're going to check data quality, uh, and they will uh, reject unacceptable data sources. Uh, interestingly, they will include uh, what they call, and I haven't actually seen this phrase before, "gray literature." End quote. Kind of interesting. So what they, as they define gray literature, it refers to scientific information not published and distributed in peer-reviewed journal articles. And so it would be things like study reports that uh, companies have in their possession. Um, things are unpublished. So that's now referred to as gray literature. Rather interesting uh, turn of phrase. Uh, for uh, uh worker health, they plan to use, uh, oh, by the way, the data will be both risk-based, both hazard and exposure. Uh, for uh, worker exposure, they plan to look at the uh, NIOSH uh, information. Uh, and uh, EPA also says, and it's very interestingly, that they plan to use their TSCA authority to gather information as appropriate. And what TSCA authority are they talking about? Well, they're certainly talking about section um, eight, um, Section 8D, which is uh, mandated submission of uh, health and safety studies. Section 8A, which is the PA rule, which uh, mandated submission of information on manufacturing and use. Um, Section 4, which are the uh, test rules, test orders, uh, testing consent agreements. EPA says, interestingly, that they, because this is pre prioritization and not part of the statute, they would not be bound by provision under Section 4, which says that if EPA orders testing as part of prioritization, uh, then they must make the determination within 90 days of getting the data as to the prioritization of the priority of the substance. But what EPA says here, that's no, no, that's that's, uh, prioritization. This is pre-prioritization, so we can order testing if we wish, and that doesn't put any constraints on us. So that's a very interesting uh, kind of argument that EPA makes in their response to comments, and people who worry about animal testing, uh, and I hope some of you out there do, uh, you might, might want to think about whether that's a correct position. Uh, Section 11 is not a place where EPA can get information, those are the inspections of facilities, uh, and they can also uh, ask states for information, and they can ask uh, other federal agencies to voluntarily submit information. Next slide, please. So, what other factors will they uh, do in uh, selecting uh, chemicals for as candidates for prioritization for the work plan? Uh, well, they'll be mindful of their workload and resource constraints, uh, and they, interestingly, may use a category approach, rather than substance by substance selection. So what they suggest, for example, is their, fair, for example, uh, there's a fair number of solvents on the list of 73 that we've been talking about. They may do a solvent category. So basically all the solvents would be you know, picked at one time. Or they may look at things that are uh, similar in structure, similar in properties, similar in use, uh, similar mode of action, or similar exposure pathways. So they could think about uh, you know, sort of picking things in batches uh, to meet the 20 Uh, which I guess is a kind of way of doing this without looking at each individual chemical. That, of course, means that you have to assume that you can read across the data uh, within these batches because if you're not gonna do a chemical by chemical assessment, then you won't know if you have enough information on the chemicals to actually do the form of polarization. So you have to be assuming that if they're similar in structure, similar, similar in properties, similar in use, Etc., that you can read across the data within the group. Next. So, what's the longer term approach? I was short term, first 20. Longer term is EPA plans to take the active substances on the Tosca inventory and uh, sort of uh, from that basically select bins, or select groups. And so, what they, and I mean, it's hard to see this, but basically they're going to take the active inventory, they're going to develop scores based on. Human health ha- hazards, genotox, ecotox, uh, susceptible uh, populations, and they do point out very specifically in response to comments that they consider workers to be a susceptible population, and they also consider that Tosca has an important role to play in protecting worker health. So, in fact, what they say. EPA agrees that TSCA provides unique authorities to address worker risks, when comp, which complement current OSHA authorities. So there's been some debate about the role of OSHA versus EPA in terms of worker exposure. Uh, I think EPA set out their formal position in the response to comment document. Next slide, please. So what happens after pre prioritization? Again, that's just picking chemicals to run into the formal prioritization process. Again, this is a very hard slide to read. There will be copies of the slide up on the website, but and, uh, and you can sort of read those at your leisure. But basically, it's a pipeline um, where EPA formally uh, proposes a chemical for prioritization. Um, there's two 90-day comment periods. Uh, one on the uh, proposal, the second on the available to gather information, to do the prioritization, and uh, so it, that's all I want to tell you. There are two formal comment periods, 90-day formal comment periods. If you're, you have a chemical that goes into the formal prioritization process, I would uh, suggest that you pay careful attention to those public comment period opportunities the overall prioritization from once it goes into the system once a decision is made is nine to 12 months, so things have got to move pretty quickly. Uh, and that's the full prioritization. Again, I'm gonna put these slides on the website and you'll be able to read those at your leisure. Um, and what comes out of the pipeline uh, is either high priority or low priority. Things that are high priority, uh, uh, will go to uh, risk evaluation and then potentially to the risk management. Things are low priority. Um, you know, I guess they could be used by companies to say, "Well, my chemicals are low priority. Next slide, please. So, what's ripe for judicial review? Because I know people, somebody on the lines will pay attention to that. So, um, EPA's work approach to pre preauthorization? No. Again, you can't sustain. Though you can lodge, you can't sustain. Uh, a lawsuit on guidance documents, you know, agency thinking, draft documents, anything of that nature. So their working approach to prepriorization is not subject to judicial review. In fact, EPA takes pains, which I, I think the first time I've ever seen this, to sort of explain to anybody who might be thinking of being sued uh, that this is an internal approach, not a rulemaking, and one that cannot be relied on in litigation. What about a prepriorization selection? no, because prioritization is not part of statute, so you can't bring suit on EPA's decision to have something uh, selected as a candidate for prioritization. Uh, what about a final prioritization decision that a chemical is a low priority? Yes, that is subject to judicial review. That's in the statutes. Um, so if someone's unhappy with EPA's decision that a chemical is low priority for risk evaluation, they can certainly uh, take that to courts. Uh, Priorization is a high priority. Yes, that's also subject to judicial review. Uh, however, you have to wait for the final section six risk management rule before you can challenge that determination, uh, which could be five and a half years from the time the uh, high priority designation is made. So by that time, I suspect you'll have other things to complain about in the overall rulemaking than the high priority designation. Uh, next slide. Okay, so um, we have our next Osha 3030 on October 24th. The next Tosca 3030 will be November 14th. The good news is I'll be in Europe, so I will not be presenting, somebody else will be. Uh, we have a fifth for 3030 uh, which is given periodically and you should check uh, our website or uh, send an email to info at info@cagelaw.com and say, "Hey, where's the next when's the next fifth for 3030 because I really enjoyed The other ones, next one. Uh, Our next task is on November 14th, next. I'm Herbert Stryker. So now is 1.30 according to my clock, oddly enough. So this actually finished directly on time. At five minutes, 1.35, we're having our first inaugural Reach 30.30 program. I have to drink some water because I feel a little hoarse. Uh, And uh, if you're interested in participating in that program, just stay on the line, um, and uh, we're going to put up the number for people to dial in if new people dial in. By the way, we had 121 participants on this call today, and so um, uh, thank you very much for participating. Hope you found it interesting.